This is Ashley. And this is Katie Ray. And this is The Mom Mom Stuff. Hey guys, happy Tuesday. Welcome back. We are alive. Literally. (laughs) Barely, but we are alive. Um, Yeah, so like Sunday evening, um, it was East, well, because we're, anyways, but Sunday evening. Pre-recording, yeah. Yeah. So it was Easter, yes. But Sunday evening, I got home and like went to bed, like we'd had a great day, everything was fine, and at like 12.30, I think, I wake up vomiting, and I just want to tell you something, you know how like some people are just like very violent thrower uppers yes that's me okay that is also my husband and he also woke up easter night and had the stomach bug as well and also i've not been around ashley and bailey so yeah we weren't even we were five hours away from each other but i am like the most violent no it's like an exorcism No, no it really is like my voice will be like I don't think you understand, Bailey. No, mine's pretty bad. I'm telling Bailey you. yells at the toilet. <laughs> like I'm not kidding. It's we joke about it. I don't know. It. Mine's pretty bad. Like it is. I I don't know why. I literally told him. I was like, Why do you have to be so dramatic? <laughs> Mine is the same. Way. I don't understand. And so anyway, so yeah, he. So Katie got the stomach bug. Bailey had the stomach bug. And I literally threw up all night long to the point where I was like, Am I pregnant? And and then I was like, And if I am. I'm not going to survive. Like, that was my my next thought. So, yeah, Bailey threw up all night long, too. And he would come in, or he he ended up sleeping on the couch at my parents' house because he didn't want to wake me and the babies up. But he would, like, come in and say that. And I'm like, okay, as if we didn't hear you yelling at the (laughs) toilet. I said, Bailey, the neighbors know you have the stomach bug. Like, it was so loud. But, um... So that happened, and then we had to drive all the way home the next day. And so Bailey, like, got it together enough to drive us all the way home. Well, as soon as we get home, Knox starts throwing up. And so now he has the stomach bug. And him and Cody, like, share pacifiers, like, no tomorrow. So I was like, okay, well, Cody's going to get it too. And then I'm, like, just trying and praying that I'm not going to get it. And Knox, he only threw up a few times, and then he was fine. Like, he was good the next morning. But throughout that night, I then got it and was sick. Um, Cody miraculously, though, like, didn't get it at all. Like, so I stayed shocked, like, but literally Monday, we had we didn't have school after right. Easter, and so that was good. Um, Asher could have gone to daycare, but I mean, we just didn't, and so Reese had him, and I was like, literally did not lay eyes on my child, yeah. All day Monday, which is so hard. Oh, I know. Whenever I was sick, because Cody still hadn't gotten it, I was trying. Like, I was like, I don't want to give it to her. And it was so, so hard. Bailey, and, well, and Bailey kept asking me for help. And I'm like, Bailey, I don't want to get her sick. Like, no. Yeah. Like, Reese literally was a single dad Monday um, all day. And I FaceTimed Asher. And Reese answered the phone and goes, nope, absolutely not, and hung up. Aww. And I called him back, and he was like, he's going to get upset when you have to say bye. And I was like, yeah. I don't care. Just show yeah. me my baby. Um, and then every now and then, he would, like, come to the bedroom door and be like, 
mama. And it was so sad. Um, But then by Tuesday, I was feeling better, but I still didn't go to work because I was so, like, it just took it out of me, like, weak and tired. So Reese took Asher um, to daycare that day. So I, we both had a break because Reese was off Monday and Tuesday. And so um, we were, like, good to go. And then freaking, of course, on Wednesday, Reese gets it. Yeah. And so I was a single mom Wednesday and Thursday. Yeah. And today is Saturday, and Asher is like Cody. Still has not got it. Yeah, it blows my mind. I mean, so Bailey had it happen like Sunday in the middle of the night, Sunday to Monday night, or Monday or whatever. And then I, Knox got it Monday evening. I got it Monday night into Tuesday. And then... So I missed work Tuesday and then I missed work Wednesday too, just because it takes it out of you. I felt like I lost 20 pounds and on top of it all, I somehow got like poison ivy or something (laughs) on my face while I was at my parents. Thankfully it's all like healed now. Um, but yeah, so I had all this going on. So I stayed home Tuesday and Wednesday and we didn't have school Monday, obviously for Easter. So we only, I only went to work Thursday and then I had a half day. I had to take a half day on Friday because the twins too. Um, so yeah, I only went to work a day and a half this week. <laughs> Man, was it great? Yeah. it's I, Other than being sick? Yeah. I literally was like, wow, the weekend gets here so much quicker when you don't go to work. <laughs> it's amazing. I know when I got back, my students were like, hi, nice to meet you. I'm so-and-so. I'm like, stop it. I'm like, dude, I know. At that's school, the that's the thing about teaching high school is they're clever like that. They're well, my kids so just fun. get so mad when I have a substitute. And then, like, Thursday I had a planning day because I was, like, planning yeah. for a star boot camp thing. And so, like, I was there Wednesday and I told my kids, I was like, I'm going to be on campus tomorrow, but I'm not going to be in here and I'm going to have a sub. And they were like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, so mad at me. And I was like, That's so funny. Because my sorry. students in high school, they were complete opposite. They're like, a sub? Yes, I'm skipping. <laughs> My kids hate whenever I was, they get so mad. Yeah. Anyways, but, um, but we're all better. Thank the Lord. Yes. We're all better. Praise Jesus, and I hope it stays that way because um, we can't afford to be off all the time. Uh, I know yeah. Ashley's out of her 10 I was going to say, yeah, I shared it on my Instagram this week that I've had some people ask, like, how do you have so many days off? I don't. Me neither. <laughs> they take all your days from you when you do maternity leave, and then you get docked after that. So I had my days all taken from me a long time ago. So now when I take off, I just don't get paid. And then also just, like, obviously I didn't have maternity leave this year. Yeah. But I was in Ashley's situation last year. But this year, just having a baby in daycare, I mean, like, they get sick. And I mean... Yeah. My husband makes more money than I do, so, like, it makes more sense for me to take off and get docked pay versus him to take off and get docked. Well, and Bailey, like, his job's pretty flexible because they, like, he, like, runs his company. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of times where, I mean, like, their company is not, like, they don't have that many employees, so, like, he kind of has to be there a lot of the time. And it's the same thing. It's, like, I'm quitting at the end of this year so we know or well it's good practice for us to practice what it's going to be like when I don't have an income <laughs> right so I'm like I and I don't mind I'm like I can take off because you know I want yeah. I want to I want to take care of the babies We're well I think like, too just like as a mom like you 
like there's been a few there's been a handful of times that Reese has stayed home when Asher's sick because I've been like I have to go to work like more not because of vacation days but just for my kids sake I'm like I've got to go teach today like I need you to stay home but like more often than not it just makes more sense for me to do it yeah I mean that's just the way it is um financially in my household so yeah yeah we're not just having unlimited sick days we're like literally losing pay every time our kids see it sick so Um, that's fun so that's teacher life but um this week we have a guest on the pod it's our our, first ever our very first guest and we're so excited yay she's not here with us she um is coming in via the phone but um, we're doing this recording on an app, so it, it won't sound like a bad phone recording. Yeah. Like it maybe has in the past. I don't know if you listened. But. Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. So our guest is going to be Leslie, which and, is... Yeah, she's my sister-in-law, and we have her on the episode because um, my nephew, Easton, he has spinal muscular atrophy which is a genetic disorder, and they found out right after they made it Texas law to include in the newborn screening that he had it. Um, Davis and Leslie both actually found out they were carriers during her pregnancy. Um, But yeah, she's going to tell you more about all of that in this episode. And we will preface, it's a little bit of a heavy episode. Yes. However, we do think that highlighting certain genetic disorders is definitely beneficial because a lot of times we don't know that these things exist and um you know you happen to be going through it or know somebody who is I think it's just helpful to hear somebody who you can relate to maybe and also um just kind of going into like if you are pregnant and you're thinking do I want to do genetic testing? Do I not? And like, what are all the things like maybe this will help you make your decision? Yeah. We um, kind of talked about all the perspectives of it. So yeah, I think um, it's a little heavy and we're going to split it up into two parts. Yes. But we hope you um, love it and share it with your friends. So here is us with Leslie. Okay, so joining us today is my sister-in-law, Leslie, who is married to my, well, I'm the oldest, but the oldest of my younger brothers, Davis. There we go. So everyone, as in you, Katie, (laughs) say hi to Leslie. What up? No, we're (laughs) super glad you're here. I'm excited. Hi, thanks for having me. So um, first of all, I just want to know, how long have you been married to Davis? Um... I guess like a year and a half. It'll be two years in September. Yeah. So let's just go back to the beginning to start this out. So they got married September 19th, right? Yes. 2020. And you got pregnant. October 2020. I would say a month later. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Was that planned? Um, I mean, we weren't like, we weren't really like doing anything to prevent it. Pregnant. Yeah. Right. Um, they but, were not, they were not, not trying. Gotcha. Right. But I also didn't expect to get pregnant that soon. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. No. Yeah. And funny story. So we, we found out we were having twins and that week was when they found out they were pregnant and they FaceTimed me 
freaking out because they didn't think it was like real yet. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's crazy. So how far apart? So our due dates were only a month apart, but since the twins were early, they're two months apart in age. Oh my gosh, that's going to be so fun later though. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the twins are small and Easton's like bigger than them. So yeah, (laughs) (laughs) which, okay. So Easton is their baby's name. Obviously. Yeah. He's a sing there. He's a singleton. Yes. As we (laughs) talked about before, singleton. Um, but yeah, so the reason we have Leslie on today is because Easton was diagnosed with SMA which is what more of what Leslie's going to tell you all about. So, yes. Um, so SMA is a genetic thing, right, Leslie? Yes. Um, it's actually inherited when both mom and dad are carriers. It stands for spinal muscular atrophy. Um, so Davis and I both only have one copy of I, I I need to backtrack. I have to talk a little bit of genetics. And if I'm confusing you or if I ever lose you, you can stop me. Okay. So everybody has what's called, it's called the survival motor neuron. We have, for short, it's SMN1. There's an SMN1 gene and an SMN2 gene. Um, Easton is missing the SMN1 gene. Okay. Um, so Davis, typically, uh, most people have two copies of SMN1, but Davis and I both only have one copy. Um, so when both parents, that, that just means we're carriers for it. When both parents only have one copy, then um, there's a 25% chance that the baby will have SMA. Gotcha. And was the other 75% chance just that he would be a carrier? Yes, um, there was a 50% chance he would be a carrier. Okay. And then there was like a 25% chance he wouldn't, you know, I don't remember, but it's, it's kind of confusing. It's a lot of genetics, but all all I know is 25% chance that they would have it and be symptomatic. Okay. Okay. Got it. I was going to say, so kind of like, how did y'all figure out that y'all had the genes? It was kind of an accident, honestly. Um, I went for my initial appointment when I was pregnant, and I thought it was just, like, standard blood work. I didn't realize that it was optional because they, like, they pushed so hard for us to do it. The genetic testing? Uh-huh. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, this was my first pregnancy. I didn't know any better, so we did it. And I got a call saying... I was a carrier for spinal muscular atrophy and I had never even heard of it. Yeah. I hadn't either. Me neither. Um, yeah. So of course I panic and they say, you know, we need to test your husband. Uh, so Davis has to go and get blood work done. And he, he comes back as being a carrier and it's weird because I remember, you know, exactly where I was when I found out that I was a carrier I remember who I was with. I remember where I was when I found out Davis was a carrier. Um, Yeah. It was just. It was shocking. It it was just like the sequence of events that, you know, it, I don't know. It was pretty, 
stressful. I remember finding out that Davis was a carrier and immediately your mind obviously goes to worst case scenario. Of course, that's the way my mind works. Which, so Leslie has anxiety just like you, Katie. Oh my gosh, <laughs> love that. <laughs> love that for you and me. Yes, I do. Uh, so the next step, they wanted us, we had to meet with a genetic counselor. We had to... Um, they wanted us to do like an amniocentesis because you can't diagnose SMA just through a scan. Uh-huh. We decided at this point I was already like 20 weeks pregnant. Yeah. And aren't those pretty risky or not they anymore? Are. They are. Um, I've heard that they're just like really invasive and can be painful. Bailey's mom actually had an amnio done when she was pregnant because she had, you know, what they consider like a geriatric pregnancy because right. she was older, over 35, I think. And so they made her like do all the tests too, to make sure everything was okay with Bailey, which granted, you know, that was also like 30 years ago, but, um, she told me at one point, I don't remember why, but she told me that amnios were painful and very invasive. Yeah. They basically, well, so at this point, you know, I talked to the MFM doctor Uh and I asked him, I said, you know, are those painful? And he said, you know, some people say they aren't and some people are in pain when we're doing it. I mean, they're pulling amniotic fluid out of you. I would assume that that's painful. Yeah. It does not sound good. No. There is like an increased risk of preterm labor or miscarriage with them. I think it's low, but you know, it's the risk is still there. Right. Um, and we decided not to do the amnio. I mean, it wasn't going to change anything if he did have it. Right. Um, so See, that's kind of how Bailey and I felt about genetic testing. We didn't, and our doctors did kind of push it every appointment. They were like, do you want to do it? Are you sure you don't want to do I it? Think- and really it was our nurses that kind of like questioned it more, but I just said no every time just because I personally didn't want to like stress during my pregnancy about something like I couldn't control because, again, it was like one of those things that, like, it wasn't going to change anything for me. But on the flip side of it, I totally understand why people do it because they want to prepare themselves and not be blindsided, like, once the baby is there. Yeah, like, that's kind of was my thinking behind it. And, like, my doctor just asked me and my immediate answer was yes. Yeah. And then she gave me her two cents because I had given the answer she wanted. You know, she was like, I think that's smart. And she was like, but I'm also just really jaded, which is like Pour she was more wine if you can hear it. It's <laughs> <laughs> fine, girl, do it. But she was like, I'm also just jaded. And I've seen so many pregnancies where like when something's wrong with the like visibly, you can tell right off the bat, like they have downs or like whatever it is. Yeah. She was like, what the she was like, I've just seen so many parents like not be able to get pat like the grieving, yeah. busting, happy. We did do the what is it called? Like the nuchal screening mm-hmm. or whatever that tests for downs. Oh yeah. For we the did do that on the scan, but we didn't do any of the like blood work stuff. Yeah. And so she was like she was like, but I could just be jaded. She was like, We live in I love the way my doctor is. She was like, Well, our doctor, yeah, she was we like, someone. We live in Texas it's not like I think you're going to find out something's wrong with your baby and you're going to get rid of it. Like I, I don't see that happening here. She was like maybe in another state, but not here. She was like, I just think it's to prepare yourself. And because she was like, you have such bad anxiety. I think it's smart for you to do so. So like, that's why 
I did it. I mean, I can see it both ways, though. I think it just depends on your personality. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. no, it was it was something that I'm glad we did um, in the long run. Right. Um, I just know, like, with SMA. So Texas and Oklahoma didn't start testing for SMA on the newborn screening until June 1st of 2021. So yeah. unless and so like right before he was born. Oh right, my gosh. Yeah. Um so unless you did genetic testing, you didn't know that your baby had it until they started showing symptoms. No. Yeah, and and didn't the doctor say like they don't typically start showing symptoms normally around until 6 months unless it's like severe and you yeah. can tell at birth, right? Yeah, so there's different types of SMA um so there is a type zero, which that's the most severe. And um, I think with type zero, they typically have symptoms at birth. Uh, I know there's like reduce, reduced fetal movement with type zero. Um, I don't think life expectancy is very long. I'm not sure what it is. I remember when, I mean, obviously when we all found this out and went down all the rabbit holes, um, I remember seeing that type zero, it often was like, terminal before like before birth yeah I know pregnancy didn't always work out yeah yeah so there's um there's different types uh Easton is type one which is the second most severe um so going back to the genetics part of it we have the SMN1 gene which Mm -hmm. That's just um, the gene that helps uh, maintain, like, normal motor function. Mm-hmm. Um, so babies who don't have that gene are going to have, like, the eventual loss of motor skills, like sitting, standing, walking, breathing, swallowing. Uh, it's very similar to, like, ALS. Right. Just, like, a genetic, like, neuromuscular disorder. Um, so we have, we also have what's called an SMN2 gene, which it does the same thing as the SMN1 gene as far as like motor function goes, but it doesn't do, our neurologist told us it only does about 10% of what SMN1 does. So the type of SMA you have is based on how many copies, yeah, it's based on how many copies of SMN2 you have. Okay. So Easton has two copies of SMN2. And the more co- the more copies of SMN2 you have, the better. Oh. Yeah. Because good, it's, it's helping, like, produce the proteins needed for motor function. But, again, it doesn't do – it only does 10% of what SMN1 does. Right. It's a lot of really confusing genetics. Yeah. No, but, I mean – it's why I switched my major and didn't end up doing engineering because science was not for me. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> I remember. I, I, I mean, obviously, I know this whole story because they're my family. Right, but... but all like everything in the story and about Easton like is so over my head. <laughs> like, and even the people like my dad is, yeah, pretty he's, smart guy. He's a straight up nerd, and. It's like over his head too. Like it, we can't wrap our brains around the process. Well, and so, I remember. Oh wait, our, go ahead. I remember at our first neurologist appointment. You know, we went into it not knowing 
what to expect. And our neurologist, it was like a four hour appointment and she had like a dry erase board and she was like drawing out the spinal cord and the motor neurons and explaining it all to us. And I mean, it was, it was a lot to take in. I would have been like, can I uh, record this really fast? (laughs) Because I'm going to forget it all later. Well, and she even told us, you know, I know I'm overloading you with stuff. You can stop me at any point and you can always, if you think of a question, like it, it was a lot. Yeah. So going back just a little bit, I want to know y'all had to go see a genetic counselor. You said, what did that? So I guess, or yeah. So pick up kind of you. So you turned down the amnio and what happened after that? So basically after that, it was, I mean, it was for the most part, like a normal pregnancy. I didn't have, I had a healthy pregnancy. Um, the only thing was at the end, we were going in for weekly scans and Davis and I were both kind of confused why, because they kind of alluded to it being because of the SMA thing, I guess. I don't know if they were considering me high risk, but we were confused because, you know, they told us you can't see SMA on a scan, but they were wanting us to come in every week for a scan. Yeah. So that happened. And then whenever he was born, they did the um, the newborn screening. And so we knew he was a carrier. So we did the newborn screen. And uh, I remember the day we left the hospital, our lactation consultant was helping with our discharge paperwork. And she told us, you know, as far as the newborn screen goes, no news is good news. And at that point, yeah. I didn't really, it didn't register what she was referring to just because there was, you know, so much going on. Right. And I didn't even really know if the people that were working with us in the hospital knew about the SMA stuff just because. Right. It's, it's not really like the people you see at all, all the, the time. time. Right. Um, but our pediatrician knew I had already um, called him when I was pregnant and they knew what was going on. So. We went to our pediatrician. We discharged from the hospital on Friday. We went to our pediatrician on Monday, and they were going to do all this lab work on him to test him for it. And I remember they had to draw blood from his scalp because what? Yeah, it was it was pretty traumatic. They had to they couldn't get enough of the blood that they needed from a hill prick, so they had to do it from his scalp. That's insane. And I remember Davis and I both were, we were in the room, but we weren't watching. Um, but I just remember our pediatrician, he like shook Davis's hand afterwards and he gave me a hug and he was like, I'm sorry, you know, it, it had to be done. He was really sweet about it. Yeah, it's so hard. I mean, like, I remember just them like having to put a pick line in Asher and I was like he didn't cry or anything but just like sitting there watching them like get ready to do like this procedure like gave me the most anxiety like I was so shooken up after so I can't imagine having to draw blood from my like newborn brand new baby's scalp yeah I mean so an interesting, interesting thing about our pediatrician, he was actually a neonatologist in South Africa and a pediatrician. And That's he came, helpful. <laughs> yeah. So he came to the States and they wouldn't let him do both. So he's a pediatrician. So I was comforted knowing, you know, he knew what he was doing. 
Yeah, yeah that's like you lucked out on that one. Yeah, the phlebotomist and the nurse were both like, we're not doing this. We're going to let him do it. Oh, my gosh. That's funny. Oh, my gosh. that I love that. Yeah. They were normally, like, the doctors are never the ones to, like, do the poking. No. Yeah. They they have their minions do the poking. Mm-hmm. They do. Um, I just, whenever you went and saw, just, like, backing up a little bit, that genetic counselor, like, what was that for? I, you know... I'm not really sure. I think it was just part <laughs> of the process because all they did was they called us. They kind of went over the results of our genetic testing. Um, obviously the SMA stuff, but they also talked to Davis about which he already knew that he had the, the breast cancer gene. Yeah. Oh yeah. And they talked about that and told us, you know, if we have a daughter, there's a 50% chance that she would get it. And, It it was just basically stuff that we already knew. Just Um, to, like, check in on y'all and, like, talk through it, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, We had to meet with the genetic counselor, and then I think that was pretty much the end of it. The end of it. We, I mean, we had, like, the typical anatomy scan. As far as pregnancy goes, there wasn't really much more they could do until he was born. Yeah. To find out, like, to know all the things. Right. Yeah. I mean, it definitely helped prepare us for, you know, him possibly having it. But it definitely heightened my anxiety. Yeah. So, um, and how long was it until y'all found out that he was positive? So, it was a week. Um, we did the testing with our pediatrician on Monday and then that the next day, Tuesday, we got the results from the newborn screen back. And I remember I was actually asleep and your mom was over here keeping Easton. And I remember Davis coming into our bedroom and he woke me up and he was like hysterical because he told me, you know, he has it because we, our pediatrician called us. Um, but also our pediatrician had never dealt with this before. So he was trying, he was saying, you know, I don't know if the newborn screen flagged him because y'all are carriers or if they flagged him because he has it. Yeah. And right. so he said, you know, we're getting you in with a neurologist. We went to a neurologist literally the next day in Dallas. So we had to be there at like six 30 in the morning. Um, oh my. And yeah, Dallas, was- the hospital, I mean, luckily, so they live not too far from Dallas, but Dallas is like the only SMA specialty hospital in Texas. Right. Um, I'm not sure about that. I do know that the neurologist that they referred us to was one of the neurologists that helped helped push to get SMA on the newborn screening. Um, we, the clinic we go to it, it definitely specializes in SMA. Um, I know that cooks also has an SMA clinic. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So since, you know, that wasn't part of the newborn until June, like she said, um, and Davis, my brother is a carrier, my other brothers and myself, like we had, like we haven't done genetic testing to know if we are. So we all kind of 
worried at this point too like are we carriers and then do Cody and Knox have it too oh my and gosh so it was like a big that we ended up not like Bailey and I haven't got tested yet still um but we called our pedi- our pediatrician like afterwards and they told me that they actually did screen for SMA when the twins were born, but that was like right before it was law. So maybe they like had already started or, yeah. some hospitals. I'm not sure. Well, but... and we live in like a medical district, so that might be something yeah. that we're already kind of doing here maybe. Yeah. So I was glad to know that they had like already screened for it, but um, yeah, yeah. Cause you so... would think if your brother is a carrier that yeah, and then Your so that other we, brothers so, or whatever. Right, so we went back to, and then we were like, okay, well, that means either my mom or dad are a carrier. You know, I mean, both of them could be, but at least one of them is. So it's just crazy, like the genetics of it all, and you and don't how know. it didn't happen till yeah now. Yeah, yeah, that is crazy. It is really crazy, and it's actually crazy how common it is. Um, you know, I after going through all of this, done a lot of research and actually like one in 50 people are carriers. Oh my and God. We found out like, obviously Davis and I are carriers. My sister's a carrier. I was um, going to ask you if she um, found out if she was too. Yes. So she's actually a carrier for SMA and cystic fibrosis. Oh, wow. But um, her husband isn't a carrier for anything. So for them, it, it wouldn't matter because if just one person is a carrier, then the only possible um, outcome would be that the baby is a carrier. They wouldn't actually have the disorder. Okay. That's crazy. Yeah. So. um, Yeah. I just looked it up and it said like one in every 11,000 people in the United States is a genetic carrier. Of some. Of. Of SMA. SMA and most don't know it. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually common, but I think there's like less than 20,000 cases of actual SMA. SMA. Yeah. And so since this newborn screening. So being a carrier just, is common, but having yeah. SMA isn't rare. Right. Yeah. And I remember when um, we got the results of our anatomy scan, I was on the phone with the MFM doctor and he was saying, you know, everything looks good, but obviously, you know, we can't rule out SMA just through the scan. And I already knew this. I didn't, I didn't like him like reverting back to it because (laughs) obviously it's like in the back of my mind at all times. Right. Um, And I asked him, you know, is, do you see this a lot um, with, you know, both parents being carriers and, you know, MFM doctors, I feel like they're so, straightforward like, straightforward is it's their job just to be like to the point they so, deal with it every day yeah so I said you know do you see this a lot and he was like no not really <laughs> so <laughs> insensitive and um in the I mean I was really upset in the moment because I think I was just looking for some like words of encouragement or reassurance just, like, support re- yeah. something something to make me feel better and I got the complete opposite and he was basically, he told me, you know, with future pregnancies, we can either, our only options would be sperm or egg donation or IVF or adoption. If we want to just completely avoid SMA or we could get pregnant again and risk it, which I'm not really, you know, keen on taking that risk. Yeah. Of, of course. Yeah. Um, okay. So then... 
y'all find out that he has it. So Davis comes in. He's hysterical. Y'all go to Dallas. The next morning. Yes. So what happens from there? What's the, what's the plan? What, what are we going to do about it kind of thing? So we go into this appointment. We, both of us just have no idea what to expect. And I remember we, we sat down and the neurologist sat down with us and starts talking to us as though he has SMA and Davis and I both kind of stopped her and we were like, so does he have it? And she said, yes. And Davis and I just like broke down crying because at this point, I think we were still kind of in denial. Yeah. And they start to explain to us what it is, what the treatment options are, um, kind of some like background information on SMA. They told us that without treatment, his life expectancy is two years. Um, Oh my gosh. I just like gave Ashley a crazy look. I know so many times already. Can't. I've wanted to cry all over again. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, this is a heavy episode and we're just all going to cry about it. But I, but I think it's important because I think like you don't know stuff like this until you're in it. Right. And then you. Well, I mean, like like we all said, none of us had ever even heard of SMA. No. So that's, so life expectancy without treatment is till two years. Yes. Okay. For type one. For type one. Yes. So there's like, there's type two, um, a type four, which type four, I think is like adult onset. Type two is childhood onset, which those are, those aren't as severe as type one. Um, so they're going over all of the treatment options. Um, there, you know, there's multiple treatment options available, uh, I'm not going to talk about all of them because some of them are really confusing. Yeah. Uh, the two primary treatment options that they mentioned to us when we went, um, the first one, so this is going to go back to the SMN1 and SMN2 genes. So the newest form of treatment was just FDA approved in 2019 and it's called Zolgensma. Um, you can only get this type of treatment if you are under the age of two and it's, you know, with this certain disease, they say, you know, time is of the essence because you want to get treatment prior to the onset of symptoms because once you start to lose, um, motor function, even if you get treatment, you, it is very, very hard to get that back. That makes sense. Um, I know. So whenever we were going through all of this, I actually reached out to a girl from Oklahoma who her son, they did not do genetic testing and they got pregnant, you know, had the baby and he started regressing in milestones. And she actually switched pediatricians five times before she got a diagnosis because they didn't know he had SMA. Because they didn't do it in the newborn screening. Right. And they didn't do genetic testing. So they had no idea. And um, she ended up being referred to a neurologist by a physical therapist. And she went to one of the neurologists at Cook's and they knew right away what it was. And he was actually one of the first babies at Cook's to get Zolgensma. And there's actually a, 
on the Zolgensma website, there's a video um, kind of telling his story. I'm not sure how old he is. I want to say he's like three or four, but he uses a walker. Um, he got, I mean, obviously he got the Zolgensma, but he's in you know, physical therapy, occupational therapy. He's really cute. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, so once you start to lose motor function, even if you get treatment, it's really hard to get that back. So they say, you know, th- I mean, they that's why they referred us to the neurologist the next day. They wanted to like, you know, get things moving to get this treatment as soon as possible. Which is great because I feel like sometimes with doctors, you really do like have to play the waiting game. So I really love that they were like not doing that and yeah. getting it taken care and- of. And since it had just become state law, isn't Easton like the youngest, like, wasn't he like the first one to be diagnosed that young? Yeah. So Easton was the first baby at children's to be diagnosed through the newborn screen. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. Yeah. So he was the first baby to get Zolgensma prior to the onset of symptoms. So he is, they asked us to be a part of a research study there. They just like pull information from his chart. We go every four months and they do like a reevaluation with physical and occupational therapy just to kind of measure his motor skills and see how he's progressing. Um, The only thing really that our neurologist has told us so far is he doesn't really have reflexes, which isn't, you know, like problematic for living a normal life. Right. I mean, it's not something you need. Uh, Other than that, he's, He's like a normal baby. Yeah. Um, So what was the other, you said there were two primary treatment options. What was the other one? So, so before I go to that one, the Zolgensma, that's the treatment that we got. And what Zolgensma does is uh, it works to replace the missing SMN1 gene with a new like working copy of the gene. It like they call it gene therapy. Like it literally changes oh. his genes. Gotcha. It doesn't like replace the missing. It's it's really confusing. So it doesn't replace the gene because if you were to test his DNA right now, he would still be missing the SMN1 gene. It just, what they do, so they attach this the replacement gene to a virus called the AAV9 virus. Um, and before they will do the therapy they have to test and make sure he doesn't have antibodies to this particular virus because if they have antibodies they're going to have an immune response and their body will try to reject it I think it's rare to have antibodies for that virus Um, but basically it's a one-time IV that you get they did it in his foot and it takes an hour while the IV is going they come in they monitor your vitals every 15 minutes um it's actually one of the most expensive drugs in the u.s it's i say i think i googled it it's the most expensive medicine in the world yeah it's 2.5 million dollars for one iv how what wait hold on stop (laughs) yeah yeah so their insurance covered it. We all did not scrounge up $2.5 million. <laughs> okay. Well, their insurance covered it, but like, I'm just saying they must have great insurance because yeah. think about our insurance really fast. Yeah. I think with something like that, that's so rare. I would, 
imagine that a lot of insurances cover it. I don't know. I don't know. So, so that's one IV. How many does he have to do? Just it's one. One in your whole life. But you can't get it if you're over two. Oh, dang. Yeah. But- so this was like best case scenario, the treatment, because it was a one one and done. Yeah. Right. No, that's, I would have, I don't know what the other treatment option was, but that sounds like, that sounds like legit. Yeah. Well, and going back to the insurance, so Children's actually has an entire, they call it the Zildjian team that fights with insurance because this is a life-saving drug. And we had two, you know, confirmed tests of him having SMA. So insurance didn't really have a leg to stand on. And the way it's, it's crazy, you know, how the hospital treats this medicine because, it's so expensive. It's and it's weight based. It's a very specific dose. Um, it has to be. I mean, we had to go and get his exact, like naked baby weight, no diaper. I think three times, um, and it's flown in on a private jet. It has to be kept in a briefcase at a at a certain temperature. I think like only two people in the whole hospital are allowed to like manage and handle this type of drug. It's. I mean. It's oh my gosh, deal. it's like the president of drug, like he yeah. has secret service for the yeah. drug. It is. And it's a whole process. So we had to have him weighed several times. And so Easton was born with jaundice. Um, and that's one thing about Zolgensma is it can cause increased liver enzymes. And so we we went obviously for, you know, our initial appointment, we had to do blood work to monitor his enzymes, liver enzymes, because they were still elevated. And um, we were scheduled for therapy, I think, like a week after we met with our neurologist. And before we did the therapy, you know, they said we're going to do labs before we start it to make sure everything's good, make sure everything's leveled off. Well, when they did it, his liver enzymes were still elevated. And they didn't want to do the Zolgensma with his liver enzymes still elevated because it can cause them to increase already increase even more. Right. And so I remember our neurologist telling us, you know, the enzymes of his liver that are elevated aren't the typical enzymes that are elevated with jaundice. So we had to go and have a liver ultrasound done. And, um, at this point we were worried because the dose that we got for Zolgensma was based on his weight and we were going to have to push the gene therapy another week. And so we were then worried that we weren't going to have enough of the dose because he was going to gain weight because we were already pushing it um, yeah. at that appointment. Didn't y'all have to like cut his feeding so that he wouldn't gain weight? We didn't. We didn't like cut his feedings. I don't, I don't remember what we did, but we ended up. You know, we had, we did the liver ultrasound. Everything was fine. That his enzymes came down and we were able to do the gene therapy that following week. But I remember our neurologist coming in and telling us, you know, we don't have enough of the medicine, but I'm not comfortable waiting any longer. I, I think with what we have, it'll be, it'll be fine because he was, he had gained weight to where I think we were under by like, it was such a tiny amount. It really didn't even end up making a huge difference. But I remember after doing the treatment, 
you have to, um, I mean, obviously monitor them for all these. Uh, we had to go to Dallas once a week for blood work to monitor his liver. Um, it can also cause elevated troponins, which is just like a cardiac enzyme. And at one point he did have elevated troponins. His liver, he never really had elevated liver enzymes. Everything looked good. Everything kind of normal, you know, went back to normal. Um, but what you, ha- what you do for the first two weeks, it might even be the first month after Zolgensma, you have to wear gloves and bag up their diapers because the medicine comes out in their stool and they don't want you to be exposed to the virus that the, the gene is attached to. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Science is weird. Yeah, it, that is crazy. It was a lot. <laughs> and like, it's, crazy. it's so, like, they're attaching it. Like, it's just so... Like Over my head. <laughs> it literally is because they're, like, attaching it to a virus to put in the, like... Which, that is how, like, vaccines work, That's how it works, but... but it's just, like, when you break it down and think about it, you're like, dang, that's, like, very involved. Those people are hella smart, and that's why they make they don't more have, money than me. They don't have any, any uh, outside life, probably. Yeah. It was such a learning experience, but, I mean... <laughs> And, and it's crazy thinking back to all of this. And also we were doing all of this and the whole time Easton had to be on prednisone to suppress his immune system. So that way his body wouldn't fight the treatment. And, you know, prednisone has awful side effects, insomnia, which I, I joke now that that's why he's a terrible sleeper, <laughs> <laughs> but it. So anyways, that's the treatment that we did. Um, Thank that God. Was, yeah, that was the one, you know, this is the treatment we want y'all to do. But what we do now, so we go to the neurologist every four months after we did this treatment. She said, we'll give him until he's, you know, nine months, a, a year and see how he's growing. If he starts to show symptoms, we'll have to do what's called Spinraza, which that works to boost the SMN2 gene. That's like what the other treatment is, right? Yes. So that was actually the first okay. FDA approved treatment for SMA. And that became available in December 2016. So they're so all really still new. not yeah. that long. Yeah. Um, and it's not as effective as Zolgensma just based on, you know, the results they're seeing so far just because you know, the SMN2 gene produces, you know, very little proteins considered to, or in comparison to SMN1. Yeah. Um, so with Spinraza, it works to, you know, obviously boost the SMN2 gene, but what it is, a spinal tap every four months for the rest of your life. No. And we obviously didn't want that. Yeah. Yeah. So I know somebody, I went to high school, well, I know of her, another girl that I know messaged me whenever we found out about Easton and stuff and told me like we went to high school with this other girl that she has a daughter that has SMA too. And she, I think is like eight now. And so these two treatments weren't around whenever, or like they were still in testing and everything, whenever she was like, I guess being diagnosed and whatnot, but she now is getting this, the, the second one, yeah. what's the name of it? Spinraza. 
Yes. So she's getting that one now and they're already seeing improvements with it, which is great. But yeah, that is crazy that it's a spinal tap every four months. Yes. And what's crazy about that. So our neurologist, you know, when we were talking about potentially having to do a second form of treatment was saying at that point, it becomes a fight with insurance. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're going to stop right there. Fighting with insurance is so crazy to me that like that's even a thing that we have to go through um I guess just the insurance world like it's a part of it yeah it's just a bunch of a bunch of hoops you have to jump through I guess um but we're gonna stop this part one right here because I feel like that was a good little cliffhanger yeah and Leslie will finish telling her story and um how her and my brother dealt with all their feelings throughout this and future pregnancy options. Also Um, how Easton's doing now and the things that they're seeing with him and just kind of more about her advice, you know, for moms that are going through some kind of genetic um, prognosis and things like that. So, I really hope, or we really hope, that you join us back next week to hear about how Easton is responding to his treatment yeah, and kind of how they made it through together as a couple. Yeah. So I know that was a heavy one. Yes, it was. Um, If you have any questions so far, definitely DM us or um, maybe we'll do a question box or something on the Instagram um, for you to ask Leslie anything if you have any other questions and we will hopefully get those answered for you. Yes. So we hope to see you next week for part two and we hope the rest of your week is amazing. I think that's a good one to cheers on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cheers. Keep on momming. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at the mom stuff podcast. And if you like us, which we hope that you do, please rate review and subscribe because that would really help us out a lot and tell all your mom friends.